Mark Jenkins, squeaky young, complete with an earnest, angelic, freckled face that belonged on a choir boy. Jenk was, in fact, a devious hellraiser and the best professional liar Tom had ever met in all his years in the teams. Jenk gave Mrs. Hampton his most adorable smile, asked her questions about her grandchildren, and led her to a seat safe in the middle of the van, even as, in Tom's direction, he pointedly scratched the side of his face with his middle finger. As they pulled out of the hotel parking lot, O'Leary was in the back riding shotgun. A black sedan's on our six. They were being followed. But Tom would have been surprised if they'd left the hotel without a tail. Jenk and Lopez were ooing and eyeing over pictures of Mrs. Hampton's profoundly ugly grandchild when they heard the first of the sirens in the distance. Ensign Sam Sterrett, who was driving, met Tom's eyes in the rearview mirror. Steady, Tom said, until they knew for certain those sirens were coming for them, making a run for it would be foolish. Running would blow this entire charade out of the water, and right now they were still firmly planted in pretend. The government was going to let them get on that plane. Sure they were. Wildcard, also known as Petty Officer First Class Kenny Carmody, was riding up front monitoring the radio, fine-tuning the signal for the benefit of Ensign John Nilsson, the team's language expert. Four cars and one army transport, LT, carrying a full platoon heading out from the airport ready to intercept. Ordered to use force if necessary, Nilsson reported. Wildcard turned back to look at Tom with glee. But then again, there wasn't much Wildcard didn't do with glee. Plan B, your holiness. Admiral Crowley had stressed the importance of using diplomacy over force in carrying out this mission. Tom knew if his squad fired the first shot, there'd be a hell of a lot of explaining to do. But he'd far prefer an uncomfortable few hours in front of Crowley's desk explaining that than having his entire squad and the delightful Mrs. Hampton spend the next six years of their lives in some shithole prison cell, the subjects of an Amnesty International letter-writing campaign. Plan Bravo was looking like a damn good choice. Let's do it. The words had barely left Tom's lips before O'Leary neatly shot out the front tire of the black sedan. Sterrett took a hard right on two wheels, leaving both the main road and the swerving black sedan in the dust. Mrs. Hampton started screaming as they narrowly missed a head-on with a vegetable truck. What are you doing? What are you doing? Jenk raised his boyish tenor to be heard over her. Mrs. Hampton, ma'am, even though we were assured you'd be able to leave freely on a commercial airline flight, we made backup provisions for an alternative means of departure. We've got a Seahawk helicopter meeting us just outside of town. Lieutenant Paletti believes our wisest course of action is to head for that alternative means of departure at this time. LT, my foot's on the floor, Sterrett shouted. This piece of shit's maxing out at 45. They were bouncing through the narrow, potholed side streets at a speed that seemed alarmingly fast. But Tom knew that if they were being actively pursued, it very quickly wouldn't seem fast enough. It wasn't any wonder Sterrett couldn't get this thing moving, though. They'd filled the beat-up passenger van with eight large men, a woman who wasn't exactly a lightweight, and three very heavy suitcases. There was only one thing they could lose to try to lighten the load. Or rather, there were three things. 
Tom met Jazz's gaze. His XO knew exactly what he was thinking, which was good, because he didn't have to say the words aloud. Mrs. H was already upset enough. But O'Leary, who was sitting in the back with the suitcases, wasn't on the same wavelength. O'Leary, help me jettison the ballast, Jazz ordered the sniper in his sub-bass Darth Vader voice. Mrs. H. had stopped screaming, but she was still clearly unhappy at the thought of flying out via Hilo. Thankfully, she wasn't familiar with the nautical terms jettison or ballast. At least the protests wouldn't begin until it was too late to make a difference. I get airsick on anything smaller than a 737, she complained. Tom leaned over the back of his seat, turning to face her, hoping that what he was about to say would make her realize the gravity of their situation. We just heard a radio message that ordered four secret police vehicles and a transport carrying 30 soldiers to stop us by any and all means.